0: Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Do you plan to vote by mail in the June 2nd election? Well, Elections Ontario is hoping you do. Hamilton's Economic Development Action Plan is chugging along. Interval House Hamilton is waving goodbye to its leader. We're raising awareness on this World Parkinson's Day. And bad behavior in the workplace could be blamed on pandemic anxiety. The GMH podcast starts now.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900CHML.
0: Don't forget to vote in our Twitter poll question of the day at AM 900CHML. Today's question is, Elections Ontario is encouraging you and I, all Ontario residents, to request mail-in ballots for this year's provincial election, which takes place on June the 2nd. Do you plan to vote by mail? Yes or no? You have until 6 tonight to cast your ballot. Not too many people are thinking this is going to be the case for them. Sixty nine percent say, no, they don't plan to vote by mail this June 2nd. Thirty one percent say, yeah, they'll give it a shot. And maybe some of those thirty one percent have done it before and had a good experience. Speaking of Elections Ontario, as I mentioned, they're encouraging residents to request mail in ballots for the June 2nd election uh, here in Ontario. Or another alternative and what they're pushing for is for you to visit an advanced polling station. Which I've done before, and it's a lot less busy at an advanced polling station than on Election Day. And I've done both of them. More Election Day voting than advanced polling. But I don't mind the advanced polling. I mean, if it is on a day that works for you, and those days are going to be expanded, it was usually about five days for advanced polling. That's going to be stretched now to 10 days in your community. And what's even better than that is that these advanced polls... Could change locations if the local electoral official, uh, the um, local electoral officer says, listen, we're not getting enough all-of-action at this polling station. Let's flip it to another location. And they'll be able to do that. Again, they have 10 days to play with now. And uh, maybe changing that will get more people into those ballot box locations. And here's another thing about the mail-in ballot. I, I-, I think we can be rest assured that this is safe and secure. And Ontario's chief electoral officer is maintaining that this is a good way to avoid a crowded uh, polling station, certainly encouraging you to mail in your ballot. Uh, We know all the unproven claims of fraud during the 2020 U.S. presidential election is just not going to happen. And it's not going to happen here in Canada, which does it even better than what we saw in the United States. And even in the U.S., you know, the system's fine, really. All those claims of fraud uh, that Trump and his, uh, I don't even know if we can call them merry men, Trump and his henchmen <laughs> have called for uh, is just not going to happen in this, in this country. Here's another cool thing from Elections Ontario as well. There's a new app that you can download, and it has a number of different tools in this app. Number one, it, easy information on where your poll location is. All right, where can I vote in these advanced polls? Well, it's going to be in the app. You can also see, and this is kind of cool, candidate information and get notifications when a new candidate is registered, which is really cool because usually during an election campaign, you know who the the, the big players are, right? The leaders of each um, political party, whether it's Doug Ford or Andrea Horvath, uh, Stephen Del Duca, Mike Schreiner, you know, the top four political parties each have a leader. But, they're, you know, from time to time, especially when there are newbies running, you want to know, hey, who, who's my incumbent? Are they running again? And is anybody else running? And what do they represent? Well, that information is going to be uploaded to the Elections Ontario uh, app, which is kind of cool. It uh, will also give you some other ways to vote. And it will also have... That information card, you know that card you get in the mail, it's got the barcode, it's got your address and all the details that you need to bring with you to the polling station, either advanced or on on voting day. It's going to come with a information card complete with a barcode. So as long as you have the app and it's on your phone, no need to find that elections card. Because let me tell you, I've received that card in the mail for numerous elections, federal and provincial, and there has come a time or two... That it has been misplaced. It's like, where did I put that card again? Can I still vote without it? Yes, I can. Okay, great. Well, now if you have it on your phone and in this app, that uh, it's going to be much more handy, much more quicker for you to get to and and not lose, unless you delete it. But just don't do that.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900
0: CHML. Look around the city of Hamilton. There are cranes here and there. There are things happening. This city is on the move, and a big reason for that is the work of the men and women involved in the Economic Development Department here in this city. And it wasn't too long ago that Hamilton's Economic Development Department launched its action plan, but what's going on with that plan? How is it progressing? Norm Schlein is the Director of Economic Development with the city of Hamilton and joins us this morning. Good morning, Norm. How are you?
2: Good morning, Rick, and happy Monday. Doing well today. Thank you.
0: So the Economic Development Action Plan, as I mentioned, uh, has been launched. Uh, it's been years in the making. It was launched years ago, I believe. How is it progressing? What, what's the latest, greatest on it?
2: So, so uh, Rick, just to, just to backtrack just a little bit, the actual, the actual Economic Development Action Plan, this version of it was actually launched in uh, October 27th of 2021, uh, which was, uh, when you think about it, a little bit of a challenge uh, that we actually put together a, a strategy for the next five years during the throes of a pandemic. So all of our public engagement was done while the pandemic was going on so uh it's uh so a bit of a progress update to date uh we have actually uh the plan was launched on october the 27th uh the, the plan has six major priorities and 77 actions within that action plan and we're about to bring our first uh, update to council in june in terms of what were the results in 2021.
0: what was it like forecasting ahead five years during a pandemic
2: Well, I have to be honest, it was a little bit daunting Um, (laughs) to look ahead five years when you're not sure. I mean, uh, pandemic, obviously, I don't want to use the unprecedented, but it was. And in terms of our our, our planning, we we really have to be, uh, uh, you know, take a lot of factors into account. Some of the interesting things that we didn't expect uh, during the throes of the pandemic, though, was the tremendous rate of growth that's taking place in the city, as you mentioned before. Um, so we could look a little bit, bit ahead on that. And, and, you know, in some of the sectors, like in our industrial sectors and in our business parks, you could see that that growth would continue to go, go forward. But, you know, it was really a, a huge, huge kudos, and, and call it to our, our, our business community and, and the community in general, in terms of the level of stakeholder engagement that took place during this, uh, this actual version of the action plan there was probably more stakeholder engagement because we were working virtually and remotely than there would have been doing face-to-face meetings. There were a lot of reports that were put together, task forces. You, you had the uh, mayor's economic task force on economic recovery, the just recovery policy paper, and a number of surveys were, were constantly taking the pulse of the t- pandemic was going on. So we were able to basically get a pretty good idea of what was happening in the community and some of the, you know, what would the priorities be coming out of the pandemic and, and into uh, Into the next five years.
0: Given all that civic engagement, which is great to hear because we need a lot more of that for sure, could you say that this is the most fulsome action plan ever created?
2: Uh, No question. No no question, Rick. Uh, uh, And I've been around, uh, I think this is my 30th year with the city. Uh, In terms of, uh, we we had economic development strategies for for many years, and then we basically, you know, the strategy hasn't changed all that much over the years, but the actions within there and the directions that we're going have. So, this is definitely the most fulsome in terms of uh, a public engagement, in terms of an action plan that, that we definitely have ever seen.
0: Norm Schlein is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Norm is the Director of Economic Development Department with the City of Hamilton, and we're chatting about ECDev's action plan. What are the main pillars of this plan?
2: So there are six, uh, six priorities in our plan, as, as we call it, uh, in, the, in the terms of our plan. Uh, facilitating a sealed and adaptable workforce. Uh, growing business and investment, revitalizing priority areas and placemaking, moving of goods and people, building transformational projects and enhancing digital infrastructure and services. And you can see some of these items in terms of enhancing digital infrastructure, uh, revitalizing priority areas, and uh, uh, these transformational projects. A lot of this really came out of what we saw happening during the pandemic. Uh, there were more the, traditional, the more traditional economic development action plans would have, you know, you're growing your business and investment, you know, bringing new business in, retaining your local business, Developing the workforce extremely important. But those other areas that I, that I mentioned really speak to you know what we saw happening during the pandemic.
0: As we all know, having a plan is one thing, but pivoting, and we've done a lot of that over the last two years, is is another thing. What are some of the challenges and some of the opportunities we can see that you'll have to stick handle through?
2: So, I mean, if we take a look at some of the, the challenges and, and some of the opportunities, uh, I, I think what, what we've seen is that uh, during the course of the pandemic that the industrial side, uh, has really sustained itself. Our, our key economic sectors uh, of the, you know, manufacturing, agribusiness, e-commerce, especially what we've seen at the airport. Uh, I mean, those sectors are, are are growing strong. The the other sectors that really need a, a probably a, a little bit more attention as we move forward are, are definitely ones that are, and shouldn't come as a no surprise to your listeners. Our tourism industry, uh, our, our on-street retailers, uh, as well as uh, definitely our office market, because I, I think this. I don't think everyone. Has really figured out what uh what the office market is going to look like coming out of the pandemic uh a lot of work from home and those you know having people working uh in our in our office core is extremely important for those same merchants that i talked about uh earlier because those are the ones that depend on those individuals that come out and have lunch and uh, coffees and dinners uh, w- within the downtown and, and other uh, commercial areas in the city.
0: Norm, we only have about a minute here, but do you foresee Hamilton, through this action plan, being a major contributor in the province's recovery and resurgence from the pandemic?
2: Oh, no no question. Um, this, this action plan really, really does lay the foundation for moving things forward. Uh, it is our blueprint uh, for economic development activities over the next five years. Uh, And just, you know, some of the announcements, that even last week, I'm not sure if you had uh, uh, Ty Shadig or anyone from uh, MIP on on your show last week, uh, but the huge announcement at McMaster Innovation Park and $480 million in the Omnio Bio and and the brand new, you know, uh, lab space that's going in there. I mean, that's just, you know, the tip of the iceberg in terms of some of the stuff that's going on here.
0: Yeah, we had that in our newscast last week. Tremendous news again for the city of Hamilton and uh, full steam ahead for sure. Norm, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Anytime, Rick. Take
1: care. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Nancy Smith of Interval House is going to be retiring, and her last day will be at the end of this month. And she joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Nancy, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Rick. having me on. What led you to this decision?
3: Well, it's time to pass the baton, Rick and we have such a fantastic team i need to step aside and let them take the helm and uh move on to other things while i support my elderly father
0: how long have you been with interval house now it's been decades
3: 24 and a half years yeah and in the field for over 40 so yeah it's time
0: well you've had a phenomenal career it has been transformative for individuals that you have come across. How did you help transform Interval House into more than just an emergency women's shelter? Because it is way more than just that.
3: Well, it evolved with, you know, Women's Center Hamilton back in 2009, Jared's Place, Flamborough Women's Resource Center. So I was a part of the behind the scenes to get that moving uh, and support that. And then, of course, our mentor actions. And I, um, Interval House purchased the rights for Be More Than a Bystander, and then all of our partners with the elite sports teams happened starting in 2015. So that really expanded, and that program has gone global, Rick. So that is phenomenal. And then, of course, our naming rights for our emergency shelter, because all our programs had names, and we just did our naming, with Victoria Mancinelli and Joseph Mancinelli. It's called Victoria and Friends for Emergency Shelter. So lots of great work there, and, of course, with our community partners as well.
0: You mentioned Be More Than a Bystander. That is such a tremendous initiative. If anything else, it ju- it raises awareness of how things should be done.
3: Yes, Rick. And, you know, gender-based violence is not a woman's issue. It's an issue that everyone must become a part of to end gender-based violence um, women did not create this and we need uh, men to align with us in our work uh, because it's about human rights right it's about equity and we need our great men to do that with us and that program allows for great men in our communities to do that
0: are we seeing some tangible results from that initiative now that it's what like seven years old now
3: seven years new rick because there <laughs> seems to be everything evolving you know And there's always opportunities. You know, it's gone from just having a a small, uh, great group of men, male leaders in our community to the purchasing of the rights of Be More Than a Bystander to the partnerships. Uh, we have the most partnerships for Be More Than a Bystander in Canada and now we are global. So there is a never ending initiative and opportunity to expand that program. And we are jumping on every opportunity because we need to really uh, stress the issue of everyone's involvement.
0: Nancy Smith is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Nancy is the outgoing executive director of Interval House Hamilton. will be retiring uh, as of the end of this month. What are you going to remember most about your time at Interval House?
3: Well, there's more than one. And I think First off, it's going to be all the women I remember meeting with and that our staff met with and that we were able to have a little piece of intersection uh, intersecting in their life and disrupting or ending the abuse or violence that they were experiencing. That, I will always cherish those stories and cherish the women's trust in telling the stories. And I think, second of all, a great group of women I have worked with not only within Interval House, but in the community and all the men in the community. Uh, Phenomenal relationships, Rick, that just are tremendous professionals who, who have the heart and the determination to make a difference.
0: We have about a minute. You mentioned you were passing on the torch. What advice, as you pass on this torch to the new leadership group, what advice do you have for them?
3: Well, Rick, I've always said Interval House of Hamilton is not about Nancy Smith it is about the work that we are charged to do. And keeping that as a focus uh, must remain. And, you know, empowering each other, empowering the women and kids we work with, but also each other as professionals and honouring everyone's accomplishments. I think those are really critical key points. And, you know, being there for each other. You know, it doesn't matter. I've been there 24 hours a day for the last 24 and a half years If somebody needs support uh, in terms of a professional uh, request, anything, not only our shelter staff, but I've been available, and you need to be available, responsive, approachable, with quality, responsive service.
0: Nancy, you're an absolute gem. You've done some remarkable work in this community. Thank you for your service to Interval House and beyond. I know there's a lot of uh, women and individuals who are thankful for that, and I thank you for being on the show today.
3: Thank you so much, Rick. You take
1: care. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: April is Parkinson's Awareness Month, and today just happens to be World Parkinson's Day. And there's a new global alliance that includes more than 80 partners, thousands of people from 83 countries that are joining together to raise awareness about Parkinson's. And this campaign includes the introduction of what's being called the spark, a new global symbol that will help heighten that awareness. You can find out more details online at worldparkinsonsday.com. Joining me on Good Morning Hamilton today are two individuals who live with Parkinson's and are founding members of PD Avengers. Larry Gifford, the national director of talk radio at Chorus Entertainment, and Tim Haig Sr., who won season one of Amazing Race Canada. Larry, Tim, good morning. How are you guys? Good
4: morning, Morning. Rick. Doing well.
0: Larry, we'll start with you. What does World Parkinson's Day mean to you?
5: Well, you know, it's funny. Before I was diagnosed five years ago, it was like any other day when, you know, someone says, hey, it's World Parkinson's Day on the radio and you're getting ready for work and you're like, oh, yeah, you don't think much of it. But but really, this is an opportunity for people with Parkinson's disease to, to showcase the importance of people knowing about this disease, to educate people about it. It's, uh, you know, we really encourage people to share their stories. Uh, it's a great chance for family and friends and colleagues to ask questions to those in your life with Parkinson's disease. You know, it's, it's not just a tremor, and I think that's what most people think. Hey, it's just a tremor. You don't recover from Parkinson's disease. It's a frenemy for life. Uh, doctors say it's a motor symptom disease, but people with Parkinson's will tell you it's a whole body disease uh, with more than 40 possible symptoms, many of which are non-motor. Uh, and so it's, it's the fastest growing brain condition in the world. And so this is an important day to let people know uh, in Canada and around the world, You know, Canada per capita has more instances of Parkinson's disease
0: than any other country in the world. Hmm. And we need to do something about it. Uh, Tim, same question to you on, on this day. What are you reflecting on?
4: Well, I have to say that first of all, you mentioned uh, the one and only good thing that Parkinson's has given to me is that it gave me the Amazing Race Canada. It, uh, back in 2013, my son and I, Tim Jr. We applied for the race, and my wife told us. She said, "I guarantee you, are going to get an interview because they're going to love your Parkinson's." <laughs> and it's one of those things that you love to hate, right? Because she was right. They loved our, the story of our park, my Parkinson's. I was diagnosed at 46, some 11 years, 11 years ago, and uh, Parkinson's has been very much like Larry says, a friend of me. I call it my new best friend, who I hate, <laughs> and because uh, <laughs> you got to keep it close. It never leaves. Every day you get up and you deal with it. It's generally the first thing you think about in the, in the morning, the last thing you think about when you go be- go to bed at night. And it's a whole body disease like Larry said. It's it's not just a tremor. The four cardinal symptoms are tremor, rigidity, slowness, and loss of balance. If those four things were all that we had to deal with with Parkinson's, this would be a cakewalk. If those other 36 potential symptoms that come along leave you mangled on the side of the road. It's an absolute train wreck. Of what it does to your does to your life. I like what a buddy of mine here, he calls himself Joe with PD. said recently. It said he said that it takes away all your defenses and leaves you helpless when that one little guy comes along and sticks a shiv in you.
1: That, wow.
4: That's basically what Parkinson's does. It doesn't kill you, but it just knocks you down hard enough that something else can get you. Uh,
5: Larry, yeah, what... our our, our co founder says it's the it's the gift that keeps on taking. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. What well, Larry? What's a PD Avenger? Ah, so uh, PD Avengers, Parkinson's disease, PD. uh, And this is an organization that started with the start of COVID. Uh, There was a new book that came out called Ending Parkinson's Disease, a prescription for action. And Tim and Sonia Mather and I, we're all in Canada. We were talking to some friends of ours over in the, the UK. And they're like, what do you guys think of the book? And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's good, a great book. You know, it, it, and then we wanted to get sort of a book club together to talk about it. Uh, and so we had like, we invited like 12 people to a Zoom call because that's what you did in the year 2000. Uh, everybody was <laughs> Zooming. And uh, we started meeting every week talking about this book, how to end Parkinson's disease. I mean, like, there, there's a roadmap here. Uh, And we talked to the authors, and ultimately, they they looked at us and they said, well, listen, this is a prescription for action. Uh, And you guys are talking, but what are you going to do about it? And so we formed the PD Avengers, which is also known as uh, the Global Alliance to End Parkinson's Disease Association. And it's uh, based out of British Columbia, but we have 83 countries uh, participating. We have individuals and organizations. And so what we've been able to do is really bring the Parkinson's community together uh, for, you know, monthly get-togethers so we can plan our messaging, our promotions, our marketing, our, our, you know, all, we we can all be aligned, all these silos, and we're duplicating efforts. And so what we need to do, and what we're kind of like a net organization where we fit over top everybody. And we, we put together sort of a global idea of what can be done and what should be done. And then we, we take that big picture idea and we give it to all these organizations and to these individuals, and they locally make it come alive depending on what's needed in their community.
0: Founding members of PD Avengers, Larry Gifford, National Director of Talk Radio at Chorus Entertainment, and Tim Hague Sr., who just happened to win Season 1 of The Amazing Race Canada on this World Parkinson's Day. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Tim, there's a new global symbol that signifies Parkinson's awareness. It's called the spark. What does that signify to you?
4: Well, for me, Parkinson's has always been about wellness. Um, i right from the very get-go, my, my neurologist fired me up when he told me to keep on doing everything that I had been doing in the area of wellness and exercise and do more if I could because I would live better stronger, happier life if I did we know, we know two things a one 50 year old drug that we have for Parkinson's works well for most of us, not all of us, we know that the next best thing that we have to treat this disease is exercise and I'm really hoping that this spark will take and spark a fire under people to realize that if you get active and stay active we can ultimately defeat this thing. We can uh, have more of us involved in research. We can raise more funds. We can make more awareness. We can make more noise around the globe so that people know what we need. And, uh, they understand what Parkinson's really is and what, what, what the community really needs to live well with this disease. So for me, it's all about U-Turn Parkinson's, uh, the organization that I founded in promoting wellness and uh, living our best.
0: Larry and Tim are going to hang around as we continue our discussion about World Parkinson's Day as dozens of organizations are um, coming together today uh, with uh, many, many community partners in a bunch of different countries. There's more than 80 countries involved to launch this new international signal to raise awareness and push for more research funding to find a cure.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: We have two guests joining us again. Larry Gifford, National Director of Talk Radio for Chorus Entertainment and host of the podcast When Life Gives You Parkinson's. He's also one of the founding members of PD Avengers. And Tim Haig is also with us, founding member of PD Avengers and winner of Amazing Race Canada Season 1. Larry, you mentioned you were diagnosed five years ago. How has your life changed over the last five years? And talk about the daily obstacles that you face.
5: Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been, a, it, it's, it's hard. First, you get di- diagnosed and you're in denial and uh, you know, depression and apathy are actually symptoms of the disease. So that doesn't help. Um, and then uh, once you accept it, like, okay, I'm going to bring you into my life and I'm going to leverage you. Uh, it's given me a purpose, but it's also given me a lot of pain and aches and exhaustion. And, you know, I I have a, a, not only do I have a neurologist, but I have a urologist and I I'm, I'm just collecting doctors at this point. I've skin <laughs> doctors and uh, and it's it's all sorts of, you know, I've got neuropathy. So I, there's like constantly a new symptom or something. Do you have a proctologist up. yet, Larry? I have what?
4: Do you have a proctologist yet?
5: <laughs> well, not yet, but if you're volunteering, doctor,
4: <laughs> I'm just a nurse, man. Just a nurse.
5: Okay. <laughs> uh, and then I, uh, I, you know, it's for me, it's day to day. It's hour to hour. It's minute to minute. And I think that's the case for most people with Parkinson's. Yeah. Um, and and f- I'm lucky. I have a great support at home. I've got a great team around me and that's a key if you get diagnosed with parkinson's or any any chronic disorder you need a team of people around you you can't go through this alone Um, and so you need family and friends and you need um, doctors and healthcare workers and you know you need uh, uh, therapists and you know you got to have a good good pharmacist i know my pharmacist better than i know most people in my life Uh, i'm there every week uh, but it's um you know it's changed everything it's changed my whole family it's changed every you know once you hear those words you have parkinson's everything you had planned for your life goes poof, and you got to rethink everything it doesn't mean life's over it's just it's a pivot and uh to 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 borrow a overused phrase and Um, You know we're we're doing it every day. It's it's life is improv, and so whatever life throws at you, you got to figure out a way
0: to 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 make it work. Tim, you mentioned you got the news eleven years ago. Were there any warning signs before that day? Yeah, you know, my
4: dad had uh, he had Parkinson's. He died with Parkinson's, so I was familiar with it. And I woke up one Saturday morning, and my left big toe was twitching. So my half sister had MS, and so that morning I knew I either had MS or Parkinson's. And uh, t- took a few months to formally diagnose it, but indeed that was the fact. I mean, I was a nurse for 18 years at that point, so I was I was quite familiar with the disease, and I was I, I knew what was happening pretty pretty early on.
0: Larry, how can our listeners get involved, either by donating to Parkinson's research or maybe even volunteering in an event?
5: Well, so yeah, there's a couple of things that you can do. First off, go to worldparkinsonsday.com, and there we have pre-designed graphics, and you can customize graphics with the spark. Uh, it's We really want people to personalize and customize the spark for themselves, and even if you don't have Parkinson's, you can send a spark on behalf of somebody you know, or you can just, just send sparks and share the spark and and encourage other people to do so because we wanna get people talking about, we wanna spark conversation. We wanna spark awareness that this this is the fastest growing neurological condition in the world. And with 10 million people in the world that have Parkinson's right now, and by 2040, that's gonna double to 20 million. And that's growing faster than the rate of the population. So this is a little bit of an out of control freight train uh that we need to get a hold of and what we've seen with covid is that when we have the intention of coming together as a as a global community all the red tape just disappears you know we were we were able to all you saw science come together you saw governments come together to to address covid we we can do this for every disease uh and we should Uh, Let's start with Parkinson's. Uh, But uh, So go to worldparkinsonsday.com. You can also go to pdavengers.com. You can sign up to be a PD Avenger. There's also an events calendar there, so you can look up different events uh, that are happening this weekend. There's free conferences online and all sorts of great stuff where you can learn more about Parkinson's. Uh, And then always, you know, whatever your local community, uh, you know, Parkinson's organization. Yeah, we need a lot of money to do a lot of research.
4: And let's not forget that on... The 11th Monday, we're going to stand up to Parkinson's. You mm-hmm. can go to u- uturnparkinson's.org where we're going to attempt to do 100,000 sit-to-stands in support of the 100,000 people in, in Canada living with Parkinson's disease. So we need lots of people to sign up, join us on that, put plastered across social media, and uh, help us stand up to Parkinson's at uturnparkinson's.org. It's a global initiative where we're trying to do ultimately 10 million sit-to-stands for every person on the, on the planet with Parkinson's disease.
0: That's awesome. Share the spark today with family and friends. Use the power of social media. Have a discussion about Parkinson's so we can help ultimately find a cure. Larry, Tim, thanks for your time today, and uh, we'll be with you on this World Parkinson's Day. Thank Thank you. That is Larry Gifford, National Director of Talk Radio at Chorus Entertainment, host of When Life Gives You Parkinson's and a founding member of PD Avengers. Tim Haig, also a founding member of PD Avengers and the winner of Amazing Race Canada Season 1, both living with Parkinson's disease and living their best life. And as Larry mentioned, Parkinson's disease, the fastest growing neurological condition in the world. Let that sink in for a second. Ten million people right now have it. By 2040, that number will grow to 20 million. And sadly, as of right now, there is no cure. So you can help out by continuing that conversation. WorldParkinson'sDay.com. Share the spark, share the logo, have the conversation with family, friends, maybe seek out a local event to support. And uh, let's hope we can find a cure for this disease.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900
0: CHML. A new study shows anxiety from the pandemic has resulted in unethical behaviors in the workplace. Uh Uh-oh. Annika Hildebrand is a study co-author and assistant professor in the Department of Human Resources Management and Organizational Behavior in the Ted Rogers School of Management at Ryerson University. Annika, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. What's going on with this study? It sounds, uh, it sounds a little dark.
6: <laughs> yes, you know, it, it actually is. So the kind of behaviors that we're seeing in, increase in are relatively mild as far as organizational misconduct goes and maybe behaviors like reporting more hours that you actually work, or maybe adding some non-legitimate expenses to your expense reports. But when a lot of people engage in these behaviors, it can be very damaging and very costly for employers, right?
0: My guess is many of these people who are doing so are not actually in the workplace. Is that fair to say?
6: We've seen it in both places. So people working from home and people working in their actual workplace as well. Hmm. So what seems to be driving it is really this anxiety. So, you know, people find the pandemic very threatening for good reasons, right? We're all worried about our health, about infecting others, or even about losing our job. And when we are so anxious, we tend to become more focused on ourselves. And we tend to do more things that benefit ourselves, even if they can harm other people. So it really seems to happen no matter where people are. We see a little bit of an increase in these behaviors. Did what
0: you uncovered? Uh, did you find any evidence of employees thinking, uh, you know, what we're in a pandemic? I, I don't care. I, you know, I'm stressed out. I'm anxious. I'm just going to clock out for the day and and just say I worked a full a full day.
6: Absolutely. Yes, we did ask people to describe, you know, what are some of these behaviors you engaged in, and we saw a whole range of behaviors, but this was very common. People just reporting that they worked or pretending that they worked when they really didn't.
0: Were there any differences in demographic, i.e. older workers were doing less of this, maybe younger workers were doing less of this?
6: That's a really good question. We did not look into those demographics specifically, um, but I could imagine that there are. We did see it across many different occupations, though. So again, people working from home or people working in what would be called essential jobs at some point, um, it really happened across the spectrum. So it seems to be really driven by this kind of, shared human tendency to just focus more on ourselves when we feel anxious rather than it's not a very conscious process perhaps we're not doing this on purpose to harm someone um, we're just trying to protect ourselves in some way
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900CHML, Annika Hildebrand, is the study co-author and assistant professor in the Department of Human Resources Management and Organizational Behavior in the Ted Rogers School of Management at Ryerson University. We're chatting about a new study that shows anxiety from the pandemic has resulted in unethical behaviors in the workplace. Uh, Besides, you know, booking extra hours or hours that an employer didn't work, what are some of the other behaviors you uncovered?
6: Mm-hmm. So it could be... uh Pretending you completed more tasks than you actually worked. It could be maybe falsifying some customer records to appear more productive. Uh, so anything that makes you look good, but that could uh, harm the employer. Is that just human nature, though? <laughs> um, to harm the employer? Perhaps not. No, <laughs> but, no. Uh, to look out for yourself, yes. And I do think that is definitely enhanced now. Yeah, so again, it's not something people are maybe consciously trying to do, but we do see that. these behaviors increase when people feel that they're under threat, even when this threat is outside of the workplace, right, in the case of COVID.
0: What could this show us about the future of work? Do Do you anticipate this going on and on and on?
6: I think people are finding ways to cope, and I do think a lot of employers are also trying to make an effort to, maybe not necessarily reduce unethical behavior, but at least find ways for people to deal with their anxiety better. Um, I think a lot of employers are becoming quite aware of that. And there are a lot of things that employers can do. So one thing that my collaborator, uh, Laurie Barclay from the University of Guelph and I focused on was the messages that employers can send to their employees. So we find that when employers really emphasize to employees that their work has an impact on other people, right, the work that you're doing, um, can make a difference in your community. We know these are difficult times, but your work is important. It makes a significant impact in other people's lives. That can really change things. So, when employers recognize this and they also communicate that to their employees, employees become more focused on their broader community again, and they become less focused on themselves. So, these very simple interventions, and these can be free, and they can be very easy to implement they can make a big difference in changing these behaviors.
0: Yeah, communication is obviously key in this regard and in many regards uh, between employer and employee. But this could this also lead to perhaps future changes in the workplace?
6: Uh, yeah, no, I think it, it will. And I think the workplace is already changing quite a bit. Um, I think you know, for employers to be more flexible, there are, there are many ways to be flexible, but we're seeing some employers offering more flexible work arrangements where employees can work more days from home if they want to it could have a positive impact Employ- employees have the, um, the opportunity to signal to an employer. No, oh, this is a good day for me to work from home. Um, maybe they just need that day to not come into the office to make themselves feel better. Um, yeah. I like to say communication in general is so important, right? When, when you feel that you can go to your manager and just talk about what's going on in your life without you know, and talk about what makes you anxious without being judged or without the manager becoming defensive, even just that can go such a long way in making someone feel better and feel that they're not alone in this, that other people are also experiencing it.
0: Absolutely. It's a fascinating study, and uh, I congratulate you on what you did uncover and some of the um, uh, suggestions that you're making as well. Annika, really appreciate your time today, and enjoy the rest of your day.
6: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
0: That's Annika Hildebrand, the co-author of this study that shows anxiety from the pandemic has resulted in unethical behaviors in the workplace.
1: Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com.
0: The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple podcast, Google podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget Forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode, and make sure you rate and review.